0: Good morning, church. Good morning. We've had a good time already, haven't we? wanted to, uh, a while ago when we were singing um, a Cornerstone, I just shut up. It's, I don't usually shut up when it comes to worship music and stuff. I just shut up and just listened. I don't know if y'all can hear them up here, but I'll tell you what, it was the most majestic sound coming from out there up here. It was amazing. I started to come up on the platform and say, stop, everybody hold it down up here, and just lead it and let everybody sing. It was amazing. But it's uh, what it's about, isn't it? This, um, this past weekend, is, it was a result of prayer, and it's about all the work that the ladies have done and all the preparation for it. But I really feel that we're in a time and, and a place at the Assembly in Bloomfield, that people are just coming in here and, and experiencing God. I, I, it do not have to be some big manifestation, it's just simply, it's, it's like you, this is where you're meeting him at. Let me give you an example. During the uh, conference Friday night, there was a, a couple young ladies, Janessa in Brooklyn, and uh, they're just, they're 20-something years old and, and excited about Jesus, and, and they couldn't come in because someone in their family would be diagnosed with the plague, COVID-19, and so they came to church after it started and pulled up and just got out of the car and just listened and came over to the window and was peeking in. There was an expectation of people when they walk into the assembly. It's nothing, to, I'm telling you, if you start thinking it's about you or about me, it'll all go away. There's something about desiring God's presence. He moves upon people when we really want his presence. And I encourage you, man, be here when you can. I was here uh, a few days ago, one of the many times I was here, but uh, there's some women out here working, I guess it's Wednesday night, and there was a, a bunch of the just us. And I want to tell you something, I'm going to get to my message in just a minute or two. Um, there was a young couple I was talking, well, go back, these ladies were talking about, and they were working, and they spent a lot of time, a lot of hours here, and the husbands have been left at home with a kids, and and these women were enjoying their liberty here and coming and working and working, working. and they said, man, I I just love being here. There's something about being here. I could come here every day and just spend my whole day working and doing things at the church. It's become a, a haven of rest or a haven of security, a haven of direction in every one of their lives. And it's so important because it's not just the women that's experiencing this. There's guys that come experiencing this too. Let me give you an example of that too. Uh, I was talking to a couple who married, got married yesterday, and, and I was talking about how if you look in our congregation, you look in our congregation, everybody that's in their 20s and 30s usually comes with their husband. You have to get into 40s, 50s, and 60s. You see see a lot of women coming by themselves. No offense, and I don't mean to offend you. But there's something happening among the fathers as well. There's something when a couple comes together and they come to church expecting God does incredible things. And I told this young couple that, and I said, in 20 years, if you'll be consistent, and you'll give of yourself, and you'll be obedient to the things of the Lord, in 20 years you will not believe what God has done in your life. And that's how it is. And these young couples are experiencing that. Man, so many of you, I, I think about so many of you, I hear your stories, and I watch your life. I don't have to hear your story. I just watch you, and I watch you mature and grow, and, and a hunger there that's never been there before, except for the things of the world maybe, be pulling on you. But there's a hunger for, I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to make this place a temple. It's not like a, this is the only place that, that God dwells and he comes and visits, but there's something about it, anticipation When they come in here, everybody's in the same uh, playing field. Everybody's expecting something from God. Amen? God is so good. And he is good in spite of us, is he not? With that in mind, with that said, we have a lot of people that can do a lot of things. And you may come to church here and you may pour your heart out and worship and stuff and sitting at your pew and, and sitting in your seat or whatever you want to call it. But you are not willing to take the next step to, to move yourself into a place and position to influence people as well. And that's a problem we have. We have so many people and you come and, and you participate, but you don't go to the next step class. You think, well, I don't have to go to class. Let me tell you something. The reason we have next steps classes is so you get a better idea of what our church personality is. So you know the history of our church. You know the direction that we're going. And maybe you have done it. But many people cannot get put into certain positions to help lead and do certain things because you won't go to the class. This is just a little commercial, but it's, it's very true. We need everybody to go to the next steps. It, isn't, it doesn't save you. It doesn't do anything, but it helps prepare us to prepare you. Let me tell you how it used to work. We used to say you start coming to church here, you have to wait at least two months before you get involved to do anything. And now we say you have to. You come to church here, and you like it. and You want to be used. You need to go to Next Steps class. They're on Sunday nights. And Misty, where you at, Misty? Can y'all see her above the ledge? <laughs> Wave a flag, okay. She's the one that does this class. It's called small groups. That's all it is. It's on Sunday nights for four weeks. And it shows. You know what it shows? It shows commitment. More than anything, we have a lot of people over the years that we let do certain things, but we never had any requirements. And when you get to this size, and to a not that we're a mega church, nothing like that, but before, us, before we go to the next, the next place, the next step, we have to have some rules. And we need you to do it. I'll just shut up about it, but we need you to get involved and come to the next steps class. Okay. If you have your Bibles, go to Second Chronicles and I'll tell you where to go in just a minute. i got a video here I want to show you. What kind of influence do you want to have? What kind of effect do you want to have on other people? Never mistake the power of influence. Do you understand your position in this church? Perfect example of what a little bit of influence can do. dog was smarter than many of us he's seen the source of his inspiration and he didn't want to hoard it all to himself although he brought plenty of newspapers in the end had a lot of them for himself but he also brought others with him because in his influence it spread from himself it spread to them and that's exactly how life is things that we encourage you to do about, about influencing others and bringing them to the church to give them some direction in life there's something I'm going to read. There's um, the ladies. I don't know who done this, and I don't know who uh, everybody got it. I guess it came through the conference. It says, "I have amazing potential. I can. I can make good choices. I am never alone. I can do hard things. I'm beautiful, inside and out. I am a great. I am of great worth. I know I am a daughter of God." This statement was beginning to influence each and every one of the young ladies in here. And some of them would come from families that things were rough, things were hard. They're beginning to see that they have influence. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today, under the influence. Usually when I say the term under the influence and you think about it, you instantly think of someone who's staggering, someone who's drunk, someone who's under uh, the influence of a, um, a substance And that's usually what we think under the influence. But every one of us in here are under the influence of something. Whether you admit it or not, like it or not, you're under somebody or someone's influence. Influence uh, is kind of a subtle thing, it doesn't happen all of a sudden because usually you can guard yourself against quick influences. You don't make irrational decisions, you don't make hasty decisions. But what happens with influence when someone begins to pressure and begins to say things to you and over a period of time you begin to become weakened if you don't notice that they're doing it to you. Over a period of time you become weaker and weaker and weaker. Before long you're saying the same things they say and doing the same things they do and you become somebody else that you've never been before. That can be positive and that can be Negative. Influence is not always immediate. It's very often, it's very subtle. It's the wearing down of what you knew full well before, succumbing to it. Who's affected by it? We're all. We're all influenced to the good and the bad. one, and I, uh, it's a few years ago, and I didn't pray about this. It's just something I've done. I, I picked up a, a ski boat from Brenda's son, Paul Wayne, and I did some work on how to repair a few things and, you know, just typical things. And I uh, got the boat going, and I was ready for the open waters, man. We were ready to go to the lake, weren't we? Not really, but we were. I was so excited in this brown, ugly boat. No offense. It was ugly. And it was old. It was a 1970-something model. I think it was old. and we, uh, And we went to the lake. I don't know anything that goes on at the lake. I don't know why people go to the lake. It's, it's kind of gross to me, but I did. And so we thought we had arrived. And so we got in the boat and we followed. Another guy had a big, nice boat and we followed him. with our little, our little rickety John boat-looking thing and we went out there. And you know, I didn't know this then, but everybody goes and parks up in the up in the river channel kind of area where it's, water's real low. It's about three foot deep or something like that. It's not. It's not good for anything, but just stand around. So I remember going up there. My wife and I, remember, you don't want to. Yeah. So we went up there, and we just parked a boat with everybody else. And they're real nice, you know, $100,000, $50,000 boats. And, and ours was about $750. Yeah. <laughs> honest, honest engine. And uh, um, so we got out, and I'm waiting around. And I look, we're probably the only people... And this huge crowd of all these boats that wasn't drinking an adult beverage. It didn't really hit me hard that time to went back the second time. Second time. You know, I don't even know if my wife was ever on board to even go the first time. But she went because I went. Why? She trusted me on what we were doing. Went through the second time and then I felt really out of place. Because then I was cautious enough to think, there's something going on here that I don't, I don't need to be here doing. And so that was the last time that we, we went over there and we sold the boat. But the, but the thing was this if we would have continued, we met somebody, and we were pastors of this church. Pastor of this church. Some people called me after the second time and said, hey, uh, we hear you're over at the lake. That's enough sign to me. So we're going through the lake. Uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles Chapter 24, verses, uh, verses 1 through 3. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he ruled for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name is Zibiah, and, and she was from Beersheba. And Joash did what was right as long as Je- Joah, jo- 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 how do you say that? Jehoiada, the priest, was alive. Jehoiada chose two wives for Joash, and Joash had sons and daughters. There's something about, I want to to transition and not think about Joash for just a second. I want to think about Jehoiada. If I say that about 10 different times in in 10 different ways, you know who I'm talking about, okay? So there's this guy, this guy that, he was not his father. He's not an authority figure, really. but, But what he was is he was a priest, now, who was Jehoiada in the life of Joash? He was everything. He was everything to Joash. When Joash was little, he taught him what was right, what was wrong, it's amazing how many times we turn our back on the person who always taught us what was right what was wrong, ethically, biblically, morally. And for some reason, we decide, we, well, we'll just do things a little different because I'm on my own. I'll do things the way I want to do them. He was a priest. And not only was he a priest, but him and his wife stole him when he was a little baby. Why did they steal him as a little baby? Because his grandmother was going to kill him. His grandmother, after his father died, became the queen of, all the, of Judah. So she started killing all everybody that was a family, uh, a threat to her position. And he was next on the line. But he was taken and he was moved into a, to a priest, to the temple. And she never found him there. There's something about this man, Jehoiada, in his life, how instrumental he was. Taking somebody that's not your own kid is is not always rewarding. But he put everything he had into Joash. Joash. Even before he, was, before, he was became, before he became king, in, in chapter 23, verse 16, I'm going to read a couple of verses there, chapter 23, verse 16, then Jehoiada made an arrangement with the people and the king that they would, that they would be the Lord's special people. All the people went to the temple of, of Baal and tore it down, smashing the altars and idols, and they killed Mat, Matan. And the priests of Baal in front of the altars, and Jehoiada chose the priests who were Levites to be restored for the temple of the Lord. David had given them the duties in the temple to do. They were, and they were, they were to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord as the teachings of Moses commanded, and they were, they were to offer them with much joy and singing as David commanded. And Jehoiada put guards at the gates of the temple, and the Lord. Of the temple of the Lord so that anyone who was unclean, in no way they could, could enter. Let me tell you, what he done is he set the stage for a good kingdom. And he set the stage for a godly kingdom. He didn't know this. Joash didn't. And did he respect him? Did he think highly of him? He probably did. Until later on in life. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Jehoda set things in order for the young king. And it proved to work well. Because there was peace in the country, and they've seen great progress in the country. A lot of people begin to change. A lot of things came to, begin to happen that never happened before, hadn't happened in a long time. Down all the old structures. Verse 4, chapter 24. Later, Joash decided to repair the temple of the Lord. And he called the priests and the Levites together and said, Go to the towns and gather money of all the Israelites. They have to pay every year. Use it to repair the temple, the temple of your God. Do this now, but the Levites did not hurry. Why did they not hurry? Because before there had not been an urgency to restore things. By this time, Joash is a little older. He's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. He's beginning to see everything that Jeho- Jehoiada done was to bring structure in his life and his kingdom and his rule. He never ever threatened him in his rule. But he knew the importance of what Jehoiada did for him. And now he's beginning to set things in order to restore the temple. So, jo, so King Joash called for Jehoiada, the, lead, the leading priest, and said to him, "Why haven't you made the Levites bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the money that Moses, the Lord's servant, and the people of Israel used for the holy tent? In the past, in the, past the sons of wicked Athaliah, Broke into the temple of God and used, it, used its holy things for worshiping Baal and idols. Verse 8 Then King Joash commanded that the box for contributions be made, and they put it outside of the gate of the temple of the Lord. I'll go out, I'll tell you what happened. They began to set this box outside and put a lid on it or put a, sl- a slot in it, and people began to put money in it. And great amount of money came in. They'd have to go, have to go back and get the money and take it in and clean the box out it was constantly a, a lot of resources was beginning to take place in the, because of the leadership of Josiah, Josiah, Joash. Chapter 24, verse 13. Verse 13, we'll read through 16. The people worked hard and the work to repair the temple went well. They rebuilt the temple of God as it was before, even stronger. When the workers finished, they brought the money that was left to the king Josiah, Josiah, Joash, and Jehoiada. They used the money to make the the utensils of the temple of the Lord, utensils for serving in the temple and for burnt offerings and bowls and other utensils from gold and silver. Burnt offerings were given every day at the temple of the Lord while Jehoiada was alive. Jehoiada grew older and lived many years. Then he died. He was 130 years old. And Jehoiada was buried in Jerusalem with the kings because he had done much good in Judah for God and his temple. Years later, many years later, it could have been five, it could have been ten years later, but something began to change. I I want to notice something. Look at Jehoiada's life. I think he was the only person to ever be buried with the kings. Now, why would he be buried with the kings? What was unique about him in a way that the people revered him such a way they wanted to be buried with the kings? Because they seen his influence upon Joash. Are you with me? They seen his influence in Joash and the leadership of Israel or Judah. And they seen the great success that came about because of the influence of Jehoiada on Joash. How many ever heard that all good things must come to an end? It isn't true, but we've heard it. And so is it any surprise to us that something is good, we, we have an ending in sight. We think, well, it would be good for, I'll give you an example. For the last probably six weeks or so, there's, there's been an expectation here in the church. And then we have uh, three weeks ago, we had uh, 20 people who were water baptized and made a decision to go public about who they were in Christ. And then the next week, we had 28, I believe it was, uh, children or small children who are dedicated to the Lord, that the parents are going to raise them and teach them about virtuous living and, and following the things of the Lord. And then this weekend, we had this happen with the, the ladies' retreat, and, and it was just crazy, crazy. But it was good. It was good. An expectation of what's coming in the future. I don't know, but I know this. I'm not looking for emotionalism, and neither are you looking for emotionalism. I'm looking for a, a sovereign move of God where he touches people's lives and changes them from the inside out. <clears throat> Chapter 24, verse 17. While Jehoiada was alive, things were well. I used to think about myself and and, and my wife and our influence upon our kids and and things that they live like and they think right. There's a time that you have to be accountable for for your actions. And Joash was hitting the time that he had to be accountable for his actions. He'd always had Jehoiada to kind of reel him in and keep him focused where he needed to be focused verse 17 after jehovah had died the officers of judah came and they bowed down to king joash and he listened to them they still looked like they were okay and they were coming showing obedience and submitting themselves there was something about them that happened something there that they were coming to alter your motive many's ever heard of a Venus flytrap? I have. You ever, Does anybody know where they come from? Uh, let me help you. They're over on the east coast, uh, South Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, and that area. They're a natural plant. They're native to that area. What does a Venus flytrap do? It opens its mouth and looks real inviting. I wish I had about four or five thousand of those around my house this summer, won't you? But they have a, emit a, a, a smell, and, and just their design, it makes a fly want to go and rest inside the Venus trap. I think it's the only plant, plant, that's carnivorous. How do you say that? Carnivorous, carnivorous, whatever. It eats meat, eats live animals. It doesn't eat plants. It doesn't absorb it out of the ground. It takes it captive. It's the same way with each and every one of us. We begin to listen. Look at the next verse. The king and these leaders started worshiping the temple of the, stopped worshiping in the temple of the Lord, the God of their answers is, instead they began to worship the Asher idols and other idols. Because they did wrong, God was angry with them and, and people of Judah and Jerusalem. Even though the Lord sent prophets and people to turn back them back, and even the prophets warned them, but they refused to listen. I'm going to try to wrap this up. There was a lot of people influencing what he was thinking. But listen, I said something to uh, uh, someone this past week. I don't remember who it was. Oh, I, I know now. But the blessings, Bobby Blair said this to me once. He said, the blessings flow from the top. The blessings flow from the top. The anointing flows from the top. And I've thought about that many times since. And I said that to a young dad in in the congregation this morning. He was just talking about how amazed he is at what God has done in his life. Because he's put himself in a position to influence the way he has. He's seen the blessings. Other people may not recognize it, but he does. You know, these... uh, there was a lot of prophets and a lot of people that came to bring correction, and nobody listened. They want to do what they want to do. A little bit farther down, the the son of let me just read it. The spirit of God entered Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest, and Zechariah stood before the people and said, "This is what the Lord God says: Why do you disobey the Lord's commands?" I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. Zechariah was someone sent to Jehoiada, someone who was. Uh, sent to Joash, someone who was born uh, from the same loins of Jehoiada. He had some of the same integrity, but nobody wanted to listen anymore. Nobody wanted to listen. He was like the video we showed. He was trying to spread the wealth to everybody and get everybody's attention to go with him. And you know what Joash done? Him and the same men who came and bowed down to him to show their obedience to him, they had him killed when he came back to confront them again. Don't ever think that you are beyond correction or beyond you may not want to listen to the right people you may choose to listen to the wrong ones But if you resist, God will bring judgment even upon you. The end of Joash's life, God sent a very small amount of men to go in to take care of them and correct a problem that was there. I'm going to read verse 23. At the end of the year, the Armenian army came against Joash. They attacked Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people and sent all the valuable things to their king in Damascus. The Armenian army came on with a group of small men, a small group of men, but the Lord handed them over a very, to a large, handed them over to the very large army of Judah because the people of Judah had left the army and God of their ancestors. So Joash was punished. When Armenians left, Joash was badly wounded. His own officers made plans against him because he had killed Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. So they killed Joash. In his own bed. his own bed. Let me tell you something. Something took place in his life. He had God's favor all over his life. Everything he'd done, everything he said, everything he did for the country, he was blessed. And he's seen great income and great increase come upon the face of Judah. But simply when he started listening, started listening to the wrong people in his life. He started to listen to what they said and listen to what their, their persuasions were. Let me teach, give you an example. Look, at, if he was a young man, he was in his 20s, we'll say. How about, uh, well, you're still young. You're still, long, still young. You've got to live a little for yourself. I can, I can visualize this. And some of you in your, in your thinking think, some, I'm still young. I need, to, I need to live a little bit for myself. The end result is just like it happened in Josiah, jo, Joash's life. Last week I wasn't prepared to preach, but I brought a 10 to 15 minute message about what are you hiding? There's something in our life that we're hiding. And when God began to send the godly person to him to correct him, he didn't want it revealed. He didn't want it known to all the people. And so he had Zechariah. He had him killed himself. What had happened to his person to make him think in such a way? It it all happened because there's a slow fade in his life. There's a slow change. When you begin to listen to anybody in your life, period, begins to get you to to diminish what God has said, the values that God has in your life and establish you in your life. The results of Listening to the wrong influencers. I could sit and can go balance with you. Some of the influencers that you're listening to is yourself. Life will never end as well as it could have. We begin to listen to people that cause us to abandon our faith. Beware of influencers. There's two questions we all have to ask. Stay with me for this. There's two questions we all have to ask. One, who am I around and what are they teaching me? I've told this story so many times over the years, but I'm going to tell it again. When I was in junior high, uh, I was not put in the real, I guess you say, cool class or the smart people's class or whatever you call it. I was in another class and and uh, we all had the same classes but just a group of people I was with and uh, they were not the best of people in the school and I started not really talking bad or anything but just began to degrade some of my thinking and some of my rationale began to go down and uh Mom noticed it. You know, you women. I was asked yesterday why women seem to get more from God when things are like this. Sister Amy said, "There's no distractions. There's something about a woman. Uh, something about her and her sensitivity when God speaks. We many times as men we're kind of dense and we're we're solid in our thinking, but we're not solid in our emotions. Sometimes when God speaks to us. And one day she confronted me. She said, Dwight." You need to really watch who you're hanging with because it's, it can be a detrimental influence in your life. Basically, that's all she said. But it was a subtle thing. I didn't really know, not notice that anybody else paid attention or, or that I was that much different. But I was to her. But I paid attention, and I changed. A young boy, 7th seventh, seventh grade, 13 years old. Who is your influence? Now you're here and obviously there's some great influence here, but the church doesn't go with you Monday, Tuesday, come back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What are you being taught by the negative influences, taught how to be selfish, look for your own desires. You know, it's so important, the church is. It's an avenue that God has used to bring some positive direction in our life when we have so much negative on the outside. You've heard me talk about this so many times over the last few months. I get so tired of the news like you do too. And you watch the sports and maybe watch the weather, and that's about all the news you can handle. so many things are out there to entice and, and really discourage and make us think that nothing's really worth living Genesis chapter 3 we have a situation with Adam and Eve and they were blessed beyond measure blessed in the evenings walking around with God he'd come down and visit them they'd talk and fellowship but something happened in chapter 3 there was a seed of doubt and unbelief that discouraged her from believing believing in God things that he said we have to be so careful not to listen to the voice that discourages a voice that t- tries to bring division in your faith things would be different today I don't know how they would be One thing about it, that seed of unbelief and doubt kind of destroyed her. In your life, maybe everything's great. You get the right people around you, surround yourself with the right people. You come to church and you you have church throughout the week and you talk to a lot of people. But some of you, there's somebody else in your life that's, that's not the best influence. And it's by choice. may be at work, it may be an old friend, listen here, it may be yourself, it may be yourself, are you man enough are you woman enough to face the truth? If they're not blessing and directing and giving you honest advice, same with yourself, if you're making justification for things that's in your life, things that you have hidden in your life. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, if you would. There's so many things that uh, can influence. You can break every boundary and every defense mechanism that we have. But we can, if listen to it enough, we begin to think that maybe they're right. Maybe they're right you can see yourself slipping dangerously into a deep, dark place and even abandoning your faith. Joash and all the thousands and millions of people that once followed his lead now are reserved to not believing in anything that he says because he listened to the wrong people. Last week, I didn't have you come to altar. I'm going to speak to some of you. If there is someone or something, maybe it's you yourself, you've been influenced so often by the wrong thinking or the wrong people. You're aware of it now. And you've got to get something straightened out between you and the Lord. And you're listening to your persuasions. you to do is get up out of your chair the same way we have baptism we, do, we don't do baptism in a closet or when nobody's here we make it a big deal it is a huge deal it is a, going public about everything we believe and what I'm going to ask you to do is get up out of your seat if you're struggling with listening to the influencers the wrong people maybe the self whoever it is you've got to get them out of your life and you want people to agree with you in prayer. I want you to get up out of your seat and come to an altar and find a place to pray. There'll be people gathered with you and they will speak to you. But we need to get rid of the wrong influence in our life and in our church. Would you come?